Pastor Xavier Reese on spiritual growth. George Mueller, a great man of faith, once said, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought instead of wanting no trials before victory, to exercise for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hand as a means. I say and say deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Spiritual victory cannot be achieved without there first being a spiritual battle. Well, how does one prepare for such a battle? That brings us to today's study where Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of 2 Timothy as he points out three steps to victory. Here he is with today's encouraging lesson. Be courageous. Paul the Apostle has expressed his gratefulness to God for his influence over his thoughts regarding Timothy, as we saw in our last study, rather than focusing upon his own imprisonment and condition. His thoughts were turned to pray for Timothy, to yearn for Timothy, to acknowledge Timothy's genuine faith. And in view of this, Paul takes his own experience of God's Spirit to strengthen him in this difficult situation. And now he takes this thing and he uses it to encourage Timothy to be courageous in light of the difficult situation that Christianity found itself in at this time. Christianity had become what they call religio illicita, an illicit or illegal religion under the Roman Empire. The heat had been turned up. Remember that this first division in this letter goes from verse 3 of chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 13. And this is the label. Commitment to perseverance through the gospel. Anytime you and I attempt to persevere apart from the gospel, we will fail. The key is written in history. It's the gospel that perseveres the believer. When we try to do it apart from it, we're relying on our own strength, and we will fail. So what we have in these two verses, verse 6 and 7, is Paul's call to Timothy to be courageous in view of three things. Let me read. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And so here are the three things that identify Paul's call to Timothy to be courageous. First, Timothy was to be courageous in view of his faith, the first portion of verse 6. Secondly, Timothy was to be courageous in view of his gift. And thirdly, Timothy was to be courageous in view of his sufficiency in the Holy Spirit, verse 7. And so he begins here with Timothy was to be courageous in view of his faith. Four words. Therefore, I remind you, the beginning of verse 6. The word therefore, as you know, is always the conclusion of what has preceded. So the same here. In view of the fact that God moved me to pray for you, Timothy. In view of the fact that God moved me to yearn for you, Timothy. Timothy. 
In view of the fact that God moved me to acknowledge the genuineness of your faith, Timothy, in view of these things, here's the conclusion. The material that follows is the product of what has preceded. As God reminded me, I remind you. As God would not allow me to be gripped by fear and the spirit of fear, I remind you. As God answered me and empowered me, so I know he will answer and empower you. That's so good. Notice, secondly, that the faith of Timothy was true, genuine faith. This faith was based on the revelation of the Old Testament. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The New Testament was not compiled. Yes, Peter tells us already that some of Paul's letters were considered Scripture, but he's referring to the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the writings. This faith was dependent on God and God alone, no one else. God had saved Timothy, God had called Timothy, and God had anointed Timothy. And too often what happens in the life of people, especially when it calls to service, is that they're not sure of their call, they're not sure of their gifts, and they're not sure of their scent. So they're always not certain and they're always in doubt. Listen, you've got to know your call and you've got to know your gifts and you've got to know your scent. And then God will be effective through you. Very important, in most particular, to ministers. Sometimes people want to get into ministry and they send themselves. They try to use talents, abilities rather than God's gifts. They push, they prod, they, they try to manipulate, they try to drop names, everything else. That only lasts for a little while. But notice thirdly that the faith of Timothy was one that had stood the test of time. And this is the, 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 the proof of the pudding. It had surpassed the time. It was in his grandmother Lois, as he told us in chapter 1, verse 5. Then it was in his mother Eunice, also verse 5. And then in his own life from a child, as we read in 3.15. And what should we say about his service with Paul? That Paul said he had no one like-minded like Timothy. In fact, he was the only one that was sincerely caring for the Philippians and that he was going to send them to them in Philippians 2.20. No one else. George Mueller a great man of faith once said, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought instead of wanting no trials before victory, to exercise for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hand as a means. I say and say deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. If all you ever experience is good times, you're probably a real shallow person. If you've gone through difficulties, you probably have depth of character. If I'm going to be courageous in life, in all these difficulties, disappointments, and tragedies, it will be a result of my faith in the Word. Paul the Apostle says to the Romans, Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If you're not in the Word, reading it, meditating, studying, and living it, then you're going to have great difficulties and you're not going to be victorious. 
Because the word of God is your strength. The word of God is what makes you stable. The word of God what, what makes you know. It gives you the courage. If you and I are going to be courageous and overcome the world, the whole evil system, it's going to be because it is related to our faith that is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The bullseye. Listen, the world does not accept people who hit bullseye today. They'll let you hit any other circle outside of the bullseye. It's called tolerance, ecumenicalism. But don't you dare tell us Jesus. Interesting. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. He who has overcome the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. As we reflect upon his life, as we study and we see what he went through being God, and how he overcame for us, that now we can overcome by trusting him. That we can be like him. If you and I are going to fight the good fight of faith and be courageous and not be intimidated or discouraged by Satan, then it's going to be because we know that the wicked one cannot touch us. For 1 John 5, 18 says, For we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. I am so confident in God, I am so dependent upon God, that if he ever allows Satan to come to me and to test me, as he did with Job, and he brings that hedge down, that I don't see that as a testing from Satan. I see that as a testing from God. And if he allows that hedge to come down, then he gives me the ability to overcome. You know, I was telling Mario this morning, you know, sometimes people say, you know, this isn't my day. Well, I can tell you as your pastor, this isn't my year. <laughs> but God's in it. God's in it, and I have to listen to him, to what he's teaching me. If I'm going to be courageous in whatever I do, and whatever comes to my life for you, it's because you and I know that God will always give us a way of escape. Paul tells the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overcome you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will always make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He is so faithful. 1 Peter 4, 19, we are to commit ourselves to him as a faithful creator in our sufferings. Timothy was to be courageous in view of his faith. But notice, secondly, Timothy was to be courageous in view of his gift. For he says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Notice first that Paul reminds Timothy to stir up the gift. Some have taken this to mean that Timothy was waning in the faith. And they read too much into it. The backdrop is persecution. Timothy's at Ephesus. The interpretation is contrary to the grammatical tense in the Greek. It clears it all up. In fact, the interpretation is contrary to the whole of the epistle regarding Timothy's character as Paul has left him and entrusted him with the church of Ephesus. The backdrop to the exhortation is Christian persecution. The phrase to stir up is made up of three words. 
and it appears only this time. The word Anna means again, the word Zoe means life, and the word Per means fire. The word was used of an amber whose flame had subsided. It was a favorite work in the classical Greek. The word was used to kindle, to kindle anew or to keep something to full flame. As I said, the tense here is in the present. Listen, keep on blazing or fanning the flame. In other words, Timothy was doing that, and Paul is simply saying, keep on doing what you're doing. He's not saying you're failing. Context, language, cultural background, the triangle, big word, Biblical hermeneutics, general hermeneutics. That's how you find out what it meant to those people in that day. Always context, then the grammar, the language, and the cultural background. Now notice, secondly, Paul reminds Timothy that the gift is in him. And the word gift, as you know, is charisma. Many different forms, charismata, different things like that. But it means grace or the gift denoting extraordinary power enabled by God for Christian service. It's a work of the Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit are imparted to the believer as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith, Romans 12, 3 tells us. So we don't choose these things. We don't say, well, I want to be an evangelist. I want to be a pastor teacher. No, God disperses them sovereignly as he wills. The gift of Timothy is not named. You go through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, but it appears for certainty that he had the gift of teaching. And for sure, the gift of pastor-teacher, which is a hyphenated gift in Ephesians 4, because he's left over the church. Some have considered that perhaps Timothy was also an evangelist. He had the gift of evangelism, because Paul later on in chapter 4, verse 5, tells him to fulfill his ministry... Uh, watching all things, uh, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, and fill your ministry. But it doesn't necessarily say he's an evangelist or have the, the gift of evangelism. I am not an evangelist, but I do the work of an evangelist. After every message, I always give an altar call. I always tell people how to get saved. So I do the work of an evangelist, but I'm not an evangelist. I'm a pastor teacher. So we'll find out in heaven whether Timothy had the gift of evangelism or not. But he was to do the work of an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist, but I have to do the work of evangelism. The gifts are different, as you know, and they're diverse, distinct from each other. Corinthians and Romans tells us that. They don't function the same. They're not operating the same. God severally chooses those. I mean, stop and think that God in very small factors you know, you got two ears, two eyes, a nose, and a mouth, and a, a round ball that sits on your shoulders. And with a small combination, no one looks the same. It's pretty smart. <laughs> well, the same with the gifts. Though they are similar, even if you have the same gift, both you may not operate it the same. God may operate it differently. Some people operate evangelism through street witnessing, others through tracts, others through uh, music, others through whatever it may be. One-on-one, -on -one, there's different operations, different manifestations. The Lord dispersed gifts severally as he wills, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and 18. And the gifts are given by God to equip and to enable 
the individual to serve the body of Christ supernaturally. Very important. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 25. Supernaturally. So in other words, these gifts and the gift of Timothy is not a talent or an ability. You may be a carpenter, but that's not a gift of the Spirit. Now God may use your carpentry work through the gift of helps, and because the gift of help is operating and you're doing it as unto the Lord, then your talent will be used by God to glorify him. But it's the gift that makes the talent beneficial. Because if you don't exercise through the gift of helps, then you always want credit. You always want to be the one who's looked up to. Or you get to a point and say, you know, I'm not doing it no more. I'm tired of doing all this. You guys ain't doing nothing. So it's the gifts that make it effective. The residence of the gift, notice, is in the individual. For it is identified and associated with the Holy Spirit of God that resides in our body, the temple of God. It's in us. Now notice thirdly that Paul reminds Timothy about the manner in which the gift was received. He says, by the laying of my hands. The laying of hands is founded in the Old Testament as a practice. Remember that the very aspect of sacrifice and atonement was through the laying on of hands. The person would bring the animal to the priest, tie it to the pole, and then they would lay their hands on the head of the animal. The individual sins would be symbolically transferred figuratively to that animal that was blameless and sinless. And then he would take the knife and cut that animal's throat. And as the animal squealed and dropped to the ground and blood went all over, it was to remind that individual that he had just imparted his sins to that animal and that animal died in his place instead of himself. You find that Leviticus chapter 1 through 5, the five sacrifices that are there, the offerings. And so that's the way they were very familiar with in the Old Testament. But also to affirm and confirm authority or call for a person to ministry, like Joshua. You remember when Moses was leading them, and then Joshua took over in Numbers 28, 18? They laid hands on Joshua, and he was the one to take the place of Moses. Affirmation, confirmation. But also to impart and to transfer one's ministry to another. As it went from Moses over to the Levites alone in Numbers 8, 10, they were to be the priests, and no one else was to enter in, and they laid hands on them, and it was a witness before all. As this is the backdrop, Old Testament, then we see that the New Testament follows the very same practice. Jesus, in his ministry in Mark 8.23, laid hands on the blind man and healed him. And by the way, Jesus never healed the same way twice. Sometimes he said, your faith, be according to your faith, be healed. Other times he lay hands on them. Other times he'd spit in their eyes and then put the mud up there. Other times he'd pick up dirt, spit in his hand, and then put it in the eye. Never the same way. Because he's the healer, not the methodology. Jesus blessed the children in Matthew 19, 13. Laid hands on them. John and Peter went down to Samaria in Acts 8, 17. And they laid hands on the Samaritans who had been born again. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit had not come upon them. Now, do we need to lay hands on people to be healed all the time? No. Do we need to lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit all the time? No. The baptism? No. 
Sometimes we do. We do it in faith. We do it just as, as an affirmation that you're seeking it and we, we desire that God would impart it to you. But no man does that. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. He imparts it. Jesus is the healer. He heals. But notice that the apostle mentions that he had laid his hands on Timothy. So here's the backdrop. In practice in the New Testament, Paul comes along, gets young Timothy. Same thing. Paul's hands had been laid on Timothy. In fact, remember when we studied 1 Timothy in chapter 1, verse 18, that he tells us that the presbytery, the leading older men, had laid their hands on Timothy and they had prophesied over him. Later on in 1 Timothy 4, 14, Paul further says that as they laid their hands on him, prophecy came forth that Timothy had certain gifts. So it was not only laying hands, but prophecy came forth and said, Timothy, this is what the Lord is imparting to you. This is what God's given gift in. In the witness of two or three, the confirmation. Now, Paul was probably one of the elder men, part of the presbytery, the leadership. He was there, they laid hands on him, prophecy came forth, he received his gift. You know, when Niccolo Paganini willed the finest, crafted, and lovingly used violin of his to the city of Genoa. He demanded that it never be played again. It was a gift designated for preservation, not designated for service. On the other hand, when the resurrected Christ willed his spiritual gifts to his children. He did not designate them for preservation, but for service. You must use your gift. You must yield to your gift for the building of the body of Christ. I'll tell you what your gift is not. Your gift is not occupying two or three feet of pew. That's not a gift. You possess one gift, and we're going to see that, at least one gift. What are you doing with it? If this was the only member in my body that functioned, and I was paralyzed completely, and I only could move my left hand, if I refused to use it, what kind of a quality of life do you think I'd have? Now multiply yourself. If you are a hand, and you're not doing what you're supposed to, what if everybody's doing the same thing in the church where you go? And the way you have to look at your function in the body and your service is if everybody was yielding to their gifts and their service as I am, what kind of a church would it be? Pretty heavy question, isn't it? The reason why you and I can be courageous in our service to God is that God has given us at least one gift. First Peter 4.10 As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good sewers of the manifold grace of God. You have at least one gift. I don't know what that is. People often ask me, well, how do I know you get? Well, get involved. If you're a Christian, you should start reading the Bible. You should start praying, asking God questions. You should be sitting under a pastor and being involved in ministry so that you're, you're moving along and he can guide you. Now, not everybody here, but some of you are old enough to remember the days when uh, there was no power steering. And when you had the parallel park, by the time you got out of there, you had some big guns. 
As soon as somebody can move your car, it's easier to turn it, right? It's a lot easier to steer a moving object than one who's sitting. If you've been in the Lord two, three, four, five, fifteen, twenty years, and all you've been doing is sitting, shame on you. You need to find that gift. You need to acknowledge that gift. You need to jump in with both feet and build the body of Christ up. Pastor Xavier Reese and Simple Steps to Spiritual Growth. And there's much more to come next time, but if you won't be able to tune in, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD for only $4. The title to ask for is Be Courageous. And this is one way you can share this outreach with others. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Be Courageous, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the station information when you get in touch. This helps us check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Do you want to learn the secret to spiritual growth? That's coming up when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Spread the word and join us then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 